us a child is born, a son is given, a son is given. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, a son is given. The Messiah, oh, to see him, to see him high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing, holy, holy, holy. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, a son is given. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, a son is given. The Messiah, oh, to see him, to see him high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. You are high and lifted up, shining in the light of your Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, 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 you are holy, 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 for unto us a child is born. You are holy, holy, holy. For unto us a child is born. Holy, holy, holy. For unto us a child is born. You are holy, holy, holy. For unto us a child is born. You are holy, holy. comes from Luke 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, Judea to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. For unto you a son is born this day, in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. 
you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with him he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Praise God for Christ. We're going to continue to sing to the Lord. And God, I ask that as we sing to you, that you continue to make yourself known. We give you praise and glory this morning. name.
flesh appearing. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him, Christ the Joy to 
Amen. Let's give him praise this morning for he is good. I'm going to pray one last time for us. God, we thank you and we give you praise. Thank you for allowing us to sing out joyfully, triumphantly to you today. We love you and we ask that as your word is preached to us this morning, that, that, that your scripture is revealed to us and that uh, as more so than ever that we can focus on you today and you alone. You get the glory and the honor and the praise. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. It's so good to sing. Well, good morning to you. Merry Christmas. It's good to see you. If you're visiting today, my name's Kyle. I serve as lead pastor here. I want to welcome you to New Life Community Church. Uh, as you're finding your seat, I just want to commend uh, everyone who worked so hard last night for our Eve Eve service. What a tremendous night it was. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise for all the hard work? Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed hearing from our choir who worked so hard over the last few weeks at the direction of Wesley and Alan and Patricia. And so uh, everyone who participated in that, let's give them a round of applause. Amen. We thank you so much. Uh, that, was, that was a lot of fun, and hopefully we can do similar things uh, moving forward. Amen. Would that be okay with you guys? We do some of those kinds of things more often. All right, so three of them are in. That's all it takes, okay? That's all it takes. Uh, well, that'll give us a good start to our choir anyway. If you have your Bible, would you open to Isaiah chapter 9? Isaiah chapter 9. Today is the last sermon in our series, uh, Advent, uh, Light Has Dawned. Through the series, we've heard about uh, the light of hope. We heard from Mr. Meadows about the light of peace. We heard from Mr. Jack about the light of joy. Last night, we heard about the light of love, and today we will uh, hear about the light of Christ, hoping to kind of bring all these things together in the person and work, the gift of Christ. Isaiah was a prophet to Judah. Judah is the southern kingdom after the split, which happened around 930 BC. And so Isaiah uh, contains prophecies about many of the different aspects of Christ's coming. How will we know who the Messiah is uh, Isaiah is seeking to let the people of Judah uh, who are struggling, uh, as we saw last night and we'll see again today, they are in darkness. Uh, but he's seeking to let them know, God is seeking through his man, Isaiah, to let his people know uh, that hope belongs to them, that light is on the way, and it will be in it will come to them in a person. This person will be the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. And so there's prophecies in Isaiah concerning the last days. There's prophecy concerning uh, Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, we see prophecies about the branch and the root of Jesse, which would also be, uh, all, all of these, sorry, are pertaining to who the Messiah was. We, talk, uh, we see in Isaiah the Savior waited for, we see that he is the foundation stone. We see that he, the way of the Lord is prepared for him and what his ministry will look like. We see uh, in Isaiah 53, the man of sorrows, that suffering servant who will go to the cross to re 
redeem his people from their sins. We see the Redeemer to come in a word. We see the Messiah. This is the beauty of the book of Isaiah. Lord willing, I'll preach through it one day. But today, uh, we are looking at the Savior waited for. The Savior waited for. Because you and I exist in between Advents. We have the first Advent, which is Christ coming as a child, um, born in a manger, born to save his people from their sins, as we've heard many times over the last few weeks. And we await yet another Advent. We await the coming of a king. Amen? We await the coming of the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the one who will establish the new heavens and new earth. He will reign in righteousness and justice forevermore. We will be his people. He will call us his people. And he will be our God. Amen? We see, though, in this text today, the beginning of such a reign. How will that thing begin to take shape? So if you would, I ask that you stand to your feet as we read the word of the Lord this morning. When I'm finished reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and you can respond, thanks be to God. I'm going to start in chapter 8, verse 22, just above verse 1 there in chapter 9. And we'll read through verse 7 today. And they will look to the earth. But behold, the stress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. For there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations." Verse 2 here, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They prophesy before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod for, of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle to mold and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the, the prophecy we hold here in our hand words which you gave to your man Isaiah to speak to your people, words that are meant to be a hope and a joy, an anchor for their souls as they traverse deep darkness. Now, Lord, and in Christ we have seen that light has indeed 
dawned. We praise you for Christ Jesus. We praise you, Lord, that we read these words as those who exist on the backside of of the fulfillment of this prophecy as Christ has been born and peace has come. It's come to all with whom you are pleased. And so, Father, we pray now that as we open the Scriptures that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your word by the power of your spirit would you transform us help us to be men and women and boys and girls who think biblically who trust you deeply who understand that no matter what darkness may come there is a steady anchor for us in your promises we love you lord and it is our joy uh, to proclaim the excellencies of Christ Jesus this morning. Amen. You may be seated. So I, I teased this out just a little last night, somewhat unintentionally. <laughs> uh, but what you have in verse 22 is, uh, it's, it's really a diagnostic verse of what's taking place here in the southern kingdom. They look to the earth, behold, there's distress and darkness, gloom of anguish. They're thrust into thick darkness. Uh, it's obvious that the people are dwelling in darkness, right? I mean, it's plain to see. They're separated from God. They're in captivity. There's likely anger with the Lord because of their state. There's frustrations with the people uh, who have been sinning, who have caused this. There's a faithful remnant who likely is tempted to look at the others and say, this is your doing. And yet, uh, though the darkness has come, we see in 9, 1 through 7, that God gives Isaiah a word to proclaim to his people for their hope, for their joy. That there is the birth of the Messiah coming. A Savior will be born. And so the thing that I'm going to try to teach today from this text really is just this in a sentence, that God fulfills his promise to destroy the darkness through the birth of Jesus Christ. That This is a promise not only for uh, those who dwelled in deep darkness here in Isaiah 9, but it's, those, it's a promise for us as well that Christ has come, and so therefore, through the light of Christ, darkness has been dispelled. It's being put away more and more, and we'll see that as we go. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nation. So there is gloom. And then in verse 1, it's a, nevertheless, there will be no gloom. Do you see that? It's there. I mean, if you're present in the moment, you would say, but that's just blatantly false. There is gloom here. There is thick darkness. We've been thrust into it by you, Lord. Your hand has caused this. It's just and it's right, but we don't like it. And yet, nevertheless, but 
There is no gloom for her who was in anguish. God is speaking through Isaiah. He's announcing an end to the gloom. He's announcing an end to the darkness. At one time, uh, God would deal with his people's rebellion and wrath through their destruction in the promised land. They're driven out. They're in captivity. They're having a really tough go of it for the last hundreds of years. But a time is coming where he will rescue them in his grace. And it will come through Galilee. And it will affect the nations or the Gentiles. Those previously thought uh, to be outside of God's people. Really, when you read those verses, there's kind of there's there's two things that we should observe. One is there's a an immediate call to unbelievers here. There's an immediate appeal to the unbelieving, that anyone who sits in their sins, anyone who is unrepentant, anyone who sets themselves as Lord of their life, anyone who is in a sentence without faith in Christ, that that person sits in grave darkness. Their soul is in danger. And so what's the call? Well, the call is that when the gospel is proclaimed, when there's the nevertheless, when there's the but, her who was in anguish shall be in anguish no more. When that comes, when that's proclaimed to someone and they receive it, and they receive it by repentance of their sins and by faith in Christ, then what we see is a great light shines on them. It's the light of Christ. It's the light of love. It's the light of peace. It's the light of joy. It's the light of hope. It shines on the unbelieving as they are given the gift of repentance and faith in Christ. Once in deep darkness, now they know anguish no more. Praise God. They gladly welcome the light then. And it grows in them. And they begin to shine brighter with each new day. Not because they're amazing and they're awesome and they have pretty smiles or any of the sort. But because the Holy Spirit has resurrected them to new life. And now He works the life of Christ into them. And as they stare, as we see in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, as they stare and behold the glories of Christ Jesus. They're transformed from one degree of glory into another. They're gone on and on from now until their final breath into the same image of Jesus Christ. The Spirit bears witness that they are God's people. Amen? We praise God for this. His light shines through the regenerate person. It's the evidence of a transformed life. It's one that Uh, This life is one that's been removed from darkness. It's been brought into marvelous light. As 2 Peter, uh, sorry, 1 Peter 2, 9 says. It's a sweet light. It's a beautiful light. It's one that carries the brightness of eternal life. Once in anguish, now full of the Lord's joy. Once walking in death, now walking in life. That's the call that we see here to unbelievers, but there's a call to believers here as well. There's an an encouragement, I should say, to believers here. 
Just in this opening two sentences, or these opening two verses, there's, a, there's that call to unbelievers, but there's this encouragement for believers that in the darkest of moments, remember, there's a remnant present. And when they hear this, there's going to be hope. It's like Adam and Eve after they sinned, and in Genesis 3.15, God pronounces a curse to the serpent, and he says that I'm going to put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, between you and her offspring, and he will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. He's going to crush you, though you might harm him. And Adam and Eve walked out of the garden facing the just punishment for their sins, but they walked out in hope. And they begin to tell the stories to Seth and to Cain and Abel, I assume, as well. But Seth believes. And from the lineage of Seth, we get Christ, the offspring of the woman, the suffering servant, the promised Messiah, the light that would dispel darkness. And so in the darkest of times, God's people always have in Christ a nevertheless. You have a but because you have hope. And it's a, I can look and I can see that what's happening in front of me is a tragedy. It's a terrible situation. It's something that no one would ever sign up for. Nevertheless, Christ is on his throne. Nevertheless, God is sovereign and in complete control of all things. Nevertheless, my heart may fail, but my hope will stand. Amen? In my mind, I'm driven crazy by all that happens around me, by the pain, the anguish, and the things that we experience. And yet, in my mind, I'm rock solid because I know that God's word is true. It's the only thing that gets you through tragedy. It's the only thing that gets you through difficulty is to trust that the Lord, that the light of Christ will shine in that darkness. And so there's always a nevertheless that you can comfort yourself with. There's a, a promise of sustaining light, which is to be a balm for your distressed soul and your troubled hearts in those moments. Christ helps his people. The Spirit comforts. Why are you troubled, Christ says to his disciples before he goes away from them. I'm going to send to you one who is better. It's better that I go so that the comforter can come. You have not been left alone. You have been given the comforter, the Holy Spirit of God, to dwell in you. You're not without hope. You're not without comfort, no matter what, no matter what troubles you may face. Though you may be persecuted, you are never forsaken. Listen to the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. 
That's courage. That's great courage. That's great biblical strength and courage. But you know what fuels courage? Hope. Peace. Joy. Right? Love. All these things fuel courage. In a word, what we're saying is Christ in you fuels your courage. Christ in you gives you the ability to keep pressing forward. Christ in you is your great hope, no matter what. Again, in 2 Corinthians 6, let me just tell you this. If you're struggling at all in life to wonder if there is a reason to remain hopeful or wondering if God can truly comfort you or any of the sort, read the book of 2 Corinthians. It starts out with a bang as you read in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 that we have the God of all comfort. That means that every comfort belongs to God. Whether an unbeliever feels some sense of comfort in a friendship or what, what have you, it doesn't matter whether you're believing or unbelieving, any comfort that comes to mankind comes from God, but believers have at the ready the greatest comfort available because you have the Spirit of God, the Comforter in you. All comfort belongs to God. And it says that He comforts us in every affliction so that we might be able to comfort others in their afflictions with the same comfort which we have received. I'm going to sidetrack pastorally for just a second because there's something you need to know about what those verses are saying. You live in a world that is full of darkness and in a world full of darkness, what people want you to believe is that you have to have the same experience as them to be able to comfort them. You have to have the same experience as them to be able to speak to their situation. This is a lie from Satan. And Christians should not live with that mentality. In other words, you do not have to lose a child to be able to comfort Patricia and I. You do not have to lose your job to comfort a friend who has lost their job. Why? Because you are to comfort with the same experience you have received? Is that what the text said? No. You are to comfort others with the same comfort you have received. And so in any way that you've been comforted by the Lord through your afflictions, you offer that comfort to others. Amen? This is how the body of Christ works. This is how we comfort one another in every affliction. Whether we've experienced it or not does not matter. I'm not saying there's not some wisdom that may come with that, some wisdom of traversing the valley of the shadow of death that others may not have. I understand that, but what I'm saying is you carry the same comfort. Comfort others. Comfort. Amen? All right, back on track here. 2 Corinthians 6.10, we are as always sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And so when life seems to be at its darkest, it's a comfort to us to remember that he who forms the light and creates the darkness has appointed to both of them their boundaries. And he alone can shine a great light upon his people. They're walking in great darkness because of God's judgment on them. 
And yet God says, your darkness will not last. I'm going to bring you light. He alone, he alone can shine the light on his people. Amen? Look at verses 2 and 3. The people who walked in darkness have seen. Everybody said, that's past tense. You didn't say it. Past tense, all right? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. The reason I wanted you to notice the past tense is because the tone changes here. Isaiah now speaks as though this has already happened, but it hasn't. They're in darkness. But he's speaking, God is speaking, and Isaiah is proclaiming, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy, they rejoice before you as, as with joy at the harvest, even though there's no harvest yet, as they are glad when they divide the spoil, even though there's no spoil to be divided yet. Isaiah now speaks as though this has already happened, and that is because when God makes an announcement about something, you can depend upon it. You can trust him. Because God makes a guarantee. And we know that part of the character of God is that he cannot lie. And he guarantees his oaths by none other than himself. Because what greater thing could you guarantee an oath by? Nothing. He is the greatest. He is the highest. He's the only one who will not fail us. Amen? And so when God makes an announcement, we should depend on it. We should see that thing as though it's already happened. A great light has shone on those in deep darkness. This is why we say to you often around here that we live, yes, in between these, what we call to this morning, these two advents. But you li live in between the coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. But you can bet your bottom dollar that that second coming is coming. It's going to happen, and there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, a multitude too, many to number, who will not be afflicted by sin or pain or death or tears any longer, but we will go on and on and on into all eternity singing the praises of God and learning something new about His grandeur for the rest of eternity. It's going to happen. And so what do you hope for now? Well, you hope in this, Christ is building his kingdom. His rule will never end. He's extending his kingdom to the ends of the earth as the gospel goes forward through faithful men and women and their sons and daughters as they proclaim the word of God in all the nations and people believe and they get new life from it. And they too will join with us and a heavenly multitude, once again, singing and praising the name of God forever. And there will be no end to this. I'm just looking at your faces to make sure you're convinced. It's your hope. 
It's, it's the greatest light you have in the worst darknesses that may come to you is to know that this will not be this way forever. You have to trust it. I don't even know where I stopped at. The people who walked in darkness have seen this light. Oh, yeah, here I am. I want you to remember what the Apostle John wrote concerning the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, this is some 700 years after this prophecy. All right, so if you doubt whether or not the Scriptures are real, the Scriptures always attest to themselves. Amen? The prophecies of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Christ. And one of the easiest ways to see that, you can find them all throughout the New Testament. One of the easiest books to read where, you can, where Matthew's just blatantly saying, this was to fulfill the Scripture written in, and he quotes it. All right, but even a good Bible with cross-references will show you how these things are being fulfilled. But some 700 years later, the Apostle John writes, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now that light he's talking about there is the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. The Word who was with God and the Word who is God, the second member of the Trinity. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And He is the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome it. How do we know? Well, because the nation is being multiplied. You see here that He, he, he says, you, you God, have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. But <laughs> this is crazy because in 8.22, there's anguish. There's deep darkness, but he's saying, you have increased the nation. The nation has actually just been decreased. It's been split in two. There's only a remnant, and, and they're hard to find. But the prophet Isaiah is saying from the word of the Lord, no, 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 no. You have increased the nation. You have increased its joy. You've multiplied the nation. No longer does it contain a small remnant of Jews. It now includes people from all nations and tongues and tribes. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free, right? These are the things we begin to see fill out for us in the New Testament when it describes the new nation, which we would say is the church. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. And so we are all one family. Isaiah is saying this is a message of great victory. You've increased, you've multiplied the nation, you've increased its joy. This is victory. And it's a victory that brings great joy. As the gospel of Christ spreads throughout all the earth. Now again, think about it. When Christ arrives on the scene, the very first message that he preaches is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the very last message that we see him preach is to his disciples where he says to them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. First he says, all authority in heaven and on, on earth has been given to me. As he's risen from the dead, he's been restored to uh, his pre 
uh, incarnate state where he rules over everything. Everything belongs to him. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, what's the end of the age? It's when Christ returns. And when Christ returns, we'll be with him. But even now, he says, I am with you, even to the end of the age. He's carrying out what? The building of his kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is at hand and the kingdom is extending. The gates of hell will not prevail against. When we say gates of hell, we're not talking about an, an offensive weapon, are we? When you establish gates, that's not an offensive weapon, right? The gates are pretty stationary. Walls are stationary. And so what are you saying? We're defending ourselves. But we will plunder hell, brothers and sisters. As we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, there will be people who were previously captive, just as you and I were, who will be brought out of darkness and into the marvelous light of Christ Jesus. They too will be a holy people, a royal priesthood. They'll be part of the city on a hill that Christ talks about in Matthew 5. They'll become salt of the earth and light of the world, just as you and I are. He's advancing. His kingdom advances in Acts 1.8, we see a very similar message here. But you, Jesus, again, talking to his disciples, telling them to go back to Jerusalem. They want to know, when are you going to establish your kingdom? And he says, listen, listen, it's not for you to know. But here's what I want you to know. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And guess where they started? And guess where they went to? Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we're still going to the ends of the earth. Amen. Acts chapter 29 is still being written. But it's advancing. The word of the Lord goes forth and people are called out of darkness into light. And so what was prophesied long ago in Isaiah 9 has been commanded by Christ here in Matthew 28 and Acts 1.8. It's what he was preparing his disciples for. And so after his resurrection, we see the fruit of this begin to take place in the book of Acts as those men go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and people respond to it. And so 2,000 years later, plus you and I sit here as fruit of this this promise in Isaiah to a people who were dwelling in great darkness. Is that not incredible? The Lord does not forsake his people. The Spirit of God is at work through his word. It's at work through the people going forward. It's setting captors free. It's saving people from their sins. It's making them brand new. Again, I've said it enough, but I'll say it again. Light is dispelling the darkness, just as God has said that it would. I don't care what the news says. I've told you before that the news feed in heaven looks drastically different than the news feed here on earth. It doesn't look the same. You're reading the wrong news feed if you walk around worried all the time, if you walk around stressed out. 
You're reading the wrong news if you're afraid. Trust in the Lord. Look at verses 4 and 5. For the yoke of his burden and staff for his shoulder. I'll spend very minimal time on these two verses because I've said a lot about them already. It's just kind of proving the point. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle to mold and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. What's he saying? Your enemies will receive destruction. That's why you and I have to be very careful about how we fight battles because the Lord has said to us, vengeance is mine. Vengeance is mine. Doesn't mean there's no fighting to be done. Doesn't mean there's no preaching. There's absolutely preaching to be done. There's sharing to be done. There's spreading the gospel and love of Christ all over the world to be done. Absolutely. We need to make disciples. But we should be careful about not taking vengeance into our own hand. That belongs to the Lord. And trust me, those who have done great evils, should they not repent and believe that Christ is Lord, they will receive a just punishment. It's not something you glory in necessarily other than Christ gets the glory. It's not something we revel in. What we see, though, is that this isn't some simple deliverance from oppressors. God announces the breaking of the bondage of sin on mankind here. It's the removal of darkness. It's the removal of bondage. And it's coming to the people of the Lord. God announces that peace is coming. He's announcing an end to the wars. He's announcing an end to the evil in the world. And man, I, I, I have no idea, and so it's careful, you know, we want to be careful with any sort of conjecture, but I, I, I'm not quite sure what the people who were hearing this for the first time would have reacted like, but I imagine around verse 5 here, I'd have been a bit on the edge of my seat, leaning in, wondering what in the world is going to happen next. How, how will he bring this about? Right? The end of the oppressors, every boot of the tramping warrior in battle to mold, and every garment of theirs will be rolled in blood and will be burned as fuel for the fire. Do you not see us, Lord? We're in anguish here. Right? I mean, I'd be on the edge of my seat. What's next? Who's coming? What nation is going to save us from this? What king is going to rise up? But in verse 6, you get a baby. <laughs> For to us, a child is born. What? No, 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 no. Go back to verse 5. You were saying something about the war, Isaiah, and, and, and all these things that were going to come to an end. And, and now, and Isaiah says, no, no, no. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. 
And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. <laughs> and I don't know, there's probably mixed reactions when you hear that, but some of them are like, oh, oh my goodness. How? Who's it going to be? What king are we waiting for? Who's going to arise? But wait, wait, wait. It said everlasting father, mighty God, a prince of peace, wonderful counselor. This is describing some wonderful man that we've never heard of. You see what I'm saying? I mean, they, there would have been real question here. But what God offers is not another human king who will destroy the kingdom, not another human king who will rule in selfishness, who might, you know, man, just reading the stories of the kings over and over again. Uh, this, this year, okay, this coming year, 2024, grab a chronological Old Testament Bible reading in a year and read it. It's like two chapters a day. But your heart will be devastated when you get to the king's and chronicles, and as you just begin to read story after story, and every now and then there's a blip on the radar of a man who loves the Lord, and then those who rise up after him really stink it up. And so the promise is there's a new king coming. There's a divine gift coming. I am going to give you, I am going to give you a true king. And so God, looking into the darkness of the sin-scarred world, he essentially says this, here is my son. Here is my son, the marvelous light of the Savior to save you out of great darkness, to deliver you from your sins, and by his life you will know what I am like. By his death you will know true life. He will save his people from their sins, and he will grant to them eternal life as just a massive gift of grace, of no doing of their own. The Son of God, born to save sinners. One man called him the invincible figure striding across the world stage. Isaiah is prophesying about the coming of Christ, but he's speaking as though it already happened. In Isaiah 53, he's going to become the lamb who is slain. But here, he's the child who's born. This is the light of Christ. Most prophecies in the Old Testament are about judgment and rescue. You're going to get a, a lot of judgment. You're going to see a whole lot of righteous judgment. And you're going to get blips of rescue, blips of redemption, blips of the work that God is going to do on their behalf in of their total awful behavior and you and I have received the same thing in spite of totally awful behavior we've received grace in Christ Jesus he's going to rescue his people from the darkness it's not just a baby being born he also tells us what this baby will be like what he'll accomplish and 
He does so in giving him four names. One is he's going to be the wonderful counselor. He's wonderful because he's both God and man. He's counselor because he is intimately acquainted with the counsels of God from eternity. And so therefore he gives wise counsel to his people. No one teaches like Christ. He's full of wisdom. He makes the wisest decisions. He has wisdom beyond human capabilities. We see here also that he is the mighty God. This is a title of the Lord himself, that he is God Almighty. Yet in his birth, we see his humble estate. I said last night that the infinite became an infant. Mighty God, yet a child born to us, given to us as a ransom for sinners. In John chapter 1, later there, we see that he, uh, we saw that the light shines in the darkness, but we see that that light is none other than the glory of God revealed to us. We see there that he is full of grace and truth. In Hebrews 1 verse 3, we see that he is the exact imprint of the nature of God. He is God with us. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. Christ being born to us is the foundation of all of our hope. It is a fountain of great joy in times of great fear and grief. He alone is mighty to save his people. We see also that he's given the title everlasting father. It doesn't mean that he is that he is the father. Though he and the father are in perfect unity. We would not say that the son is the father nor would we say that the father is the son. Rather, we would say they exist in perfect harmony. As everlasting Father, though, he gives eternal life to his people. Dustin preached a few weeks ago that he's the firstborn of all creation. He's certainly the firstborn of all of us who will be newly created. Amen? He is our brother, and he gives life to us by his death. We have been born again because of the acts of Christ. He is also their benevolent protector. He is like a father for all eternity. In Hebrews 4, we see that we can come boldly before the throne of grace and receive mercy and grace in our time of need because we have a sympathetic high priest in heaven, Jesus Christ, who has been tempted in all the ways that we are yet without sin. And so we can come to him just like you might come to a really great earthly father. Even better is Christ. This is the task of the ideal king, is to be like a father. We see also that he's the prince of peace. He is our peace. He brings peace. He grants peace. When the angels announce his coming, they announce that peace on earth has come to all with whom God is pleased. He is the ruler who will bring about peace because the nations, those in the nations, will rely on him for peace with God. He gives peace to all who call on his names, uh, on his name. Now, these titles show that Jesus will be the best kind of king because he will be a gift of divine grace. No one in the Davidic line of kings will even come close to what Christ is. And then in verse 7, we read of the increase of his government and the peace and of peace. There will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. 
The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so Isaiah here focuses on the messianic hope. An heir of David who would extend his rule from Israel to include all the Gentile nations, bringing to them the blessing of knowing the one true God. He would do what Israel could never do. And this empire of grace will forever expand. Every moment better than the last. God's mission to save his people through his son will not be stopped. It will be accomplished with a passionate intensity of which only God can accomplish. In other words, though we live in a pagan society, we live in one that seeks to redefine marriage and gender by their own terms or by no terms for that matter. One that seeks to murder human life in the womb. One that seeks to ignore and reject altogether God's truths and wisdom. And we could go on and on and on to talk about the darkness. But what I want you to know is light and that we remain, though all that is taking place, we remain a people of good cheer. Amen? And Advent reminds us that light has shone. Light has dawned. And as you feast with your families, as you look at Christmas lights, as you look at your trees in the living room, and as you open presents, we do all of this celebrating, all of these festivities unto the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us the ability to feast and to celebrate and to enjoy the company of family and friends and especially of brothers and sisters who are like-minded. And so raise your toast with joy tonight. Sing carols with joy. Praise the name of the one who has come to rescue his people from their sins. He is worthy. The gospel, the coming of Christ Jesus to die for the salvation of sinners, that age-old faithful gospel message still saves. Paul wrote that it is the power of God unto salvation. It exalts Christ alone. And it, uh, it exalts Christ who alone is able to save to the uttermost all of those who draw near to the Father through him. Hebrews 7.25. And by it... Sinners are saved. By the gospel, redemption flows into the world. By the gospel, God is worshipped in all the earth. Though kings and kingdoms will fall, though kings and kingdoms will pass from time to time to time to time, right? From one era to the next, the gospel will not pass away. The gospel is invincible. The gates of hell will not prevail against the gospel of Christ. The light of Christ has shone. It's shown in the darkness, and the darkness has not, nor will it ever overcome it. God fulfills his promise to destroy the darkness through the birth of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17, we read this. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, Jesus withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. In the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. 
the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them light has dawned. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which goes forth like a double-edged sword and pierces to the depths of every man, woman, and child. And we ask, Lord, that you would pierce our hearts with such hope and joy and peace and love that we have received in Christ. Forgive us, Lord, if we have overlooked your Son this season. Forgive us if we have made this about presence and lights and performances and clothes and parties and whatever else. But today, our hearts are still before you and we recognize that Christ is Lord. And so we repent of our sins, whatever they may be. We trust that the Spirit will reveal to us our sinfulness so that we might repent in faithfulness and be drawn deeper into relationship with your Son through your Spirit. And Father, we beg of you, Fill us with joy. Fill our hearts with hope that sustains in any tragedy, in any difficulty, no matter whatever pain or heartache or hurt, what have you we may experience in this life. We trust you, Lord. We ask that you would mature us in Christ, that you would grow us up into the fullness and stature that we would become mature men and women of God. Lord, we thank you for your word today that light has shone on a people dwelling in great darkness. We recognize that we are such people. And though we have not seen you, we love you. Though we do not now see you, we trust you. Our hope is in you. Lord, I do pray for anyone who doesn't know you, who has not yet repented of their sins and placed their faith in Christ. Would you save them by your marvelous grace today? Would you help them to see Christ anew, afresh? Maybe it's an old story for them, but it's not yet captivated their heart and their mind, would you awaken them by your spirit to be captivated, to see and to savor Jesus, to profess him as Lord, and to live in such a way that it becomes obvious that he's Lord. Would you help them to come into your light today? I'm going to give you a moment to keep your head bowed. You can spend a few moments in prayer here, I ask that you would confess any sin, repent of your sins. If there's anything that was preached today that you struggle to believe, I 
I encourage you to pray as the father who had a sick child in the Gospels. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. He will. He longs to help. Take a moment now. God, I want to close this time in prayer now and just thank you for your people's pursuit of Christ. I pray, Lord, that those who are seeking now will find him. I pray that those who are knocking, them the door will be answered. I pray that those who are asking in your name that those things will be given to them. Would you fill them all that they need in Christ. Strengthen them. <laughs> Father, we love you. We thank you that you care so deeply for us that you have given us your son, Jesus. We celebrate that today. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper today. If you're new here, we practice close communion, which means that so long as you are a believer in Christ Jesus, who's been baptized, um, we invite you to receive the Lord's Supper with us today. However, if you have not professed faith in Christ, whether you are a child or an adult, uh, we ask that you would refrain from receiving the Lord's Supper today. Uh, the worship team is going to sing for us, and I invite you to sing along with them now as the ushers pass out the elements. Let's do that. Lay the gift into our hands. God become man, we receive your mercy, Lord. Even the hands that we're holding you with, even the eyes that behold, all that we have and we hold is your gift, all that we're made of is yours. Give us the body and give us the blood. Give us the heartbeat and breath. Give us love yourself. Nothing here won by our hands. All is grace, nothing we've earned. Yeah.
shepherds we stand we receive your mercy Lord even the songs that we're praising you with even the offerings we bring all that we make and we do is your gift all that we give to our King you are the body and you are the blood you are the heartbeat and breath you are love itself let your gifts flow through our hands from your heart into the world reaching out to every land we receive your mercy Even the roads that we travel today, even the gold and the myrrh, even the smoke rising up as we pray, these are the gifts you confer. Live in our bodies and live in our blood, live in our heartbeat and breath. Jesus, live. 